Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm so excited to welcome to the show Dr. Noblet Davis. Hey, Noblet. Hello. How are you doing today? I am great, and yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. I am very excited to discuss today's topic as Novlet has a wide breadth of experience in autism. She is a physician. She is also a mother who of an autistic child and has an amazing story, plus tons of experience in treating autism as a physician. And so I'm very excited for you to share with us your story and expertise today, and we'll see how far we get. We may need to come back for another episode. So <laughs> without further ado, tell us a little bit about you, Novlet, and your personal experience as a mother dealing with autism. Yes. So I am an internal medicine doctor, um, and in 2012... I have a twin, twin, a boy and a girl twin. And I was so excited because I went to medical school, deferred having children. So I had them when I, when I was older. So I was very excited in 2012. And when Christopher was two years old, about two years old, my husband said to me one day, he, he said he was talking with his father and they're looking at Christopher and he's flapping his hands. He's spinning around in circles. He's always lining up toys. They said something is not right with him. And I got so offended. So, you know, I was like, what, what do you mean by something isn't right with them? So they never mentioned anything again. When he was three in 2015, I decided to put him in pre-K just to get a head start on kindergarten so I enrolled him and his twin sister in pre-K excited and within a week of being there they called and said they needed to meet with myself and my husband and I thought oh Christopher my genius son they're gonna have you know something exciting to tell about him or something exciting to tell me so we got there all excited And everyone was waiting, like the owner, all the administrative staff, everyone was waiting on us. And then we sat down and they said to us, they said, Christopher is different. He doesn't listen. He's a danger to himself. He's always climbing up on things. He's always by himself. He doesn't play with the other kids. He doesn't join circle time. They said, we are not equipped to handle him here. You need to Mm -hmm. get him tested. Something is different. Wow. So so at that time, I was just shocked myself, my husband. We were shocked. What What is going on? So we took him to a private um, psychologist and got him tested. And he, after that, he said to me, he said, Christopher has severe autism. I mean, I was shocked by then. I mean, I was just in this disbelief. I'm like, so what do we do now? He said, gave me some resources. He said you could get him into intense ABA, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy because he was not talking then. Wow. So, so we, um, we, we, I did that. I, I enrolled him. I, I mean, I worked like 24 hours trying to get him into physical therapy, AB, and all the services. But I still needed a second opinion because not my Christopher. I had so, you know, when you have a son, you have all these hopes, you have all these dreams. He was going to be so great. So I wanted a second opinion. So I enrolled him in another, uh, get another appointment for him to see another psychologist. 
And we went to this psychologist and same thing. She said he has severe autism. He's nonverbal. You have to get him in all these uh, programs. And then even she mentioned putting his name on a waiting list for a group home because she said as severe as he is, you know, she's not sure that, you know, that he would recover. So that was when I hit rock bottom. I, I, I just, you know, started researching everything. I had him in all the, the therapies. And after a few months, he, he didn't seem to be getting any better. <clears throat> Sorry, he didn't seem to be getting any better. So I started mm -hmm. researching and um, myself and my husband, we started seeing all the different things that can be done. We started hearing about biomedical intervention. So that's when we went full force into seeing how we could help him. And fast forward after you know, two years of, we kept him in all the therapies, but after two years of doing all that treatment, biomedical things, he was verbal, he lost all his aut autism symptoms, the hand flapping, the spinning around in circles, turning lights on and off, he didn't even know who I was. I mean, you know, name it, any, the symptom, and he had it. So he lost all of that, was able to get to kindergarten on time. Um, mm. And he plays competitive golf, plays basketball, swims, has many friends. So he lost all his symptoms. So wow. that was like a, a miracle for us because when I was doing it at the time, I did not know that he could recover. Everyone said he he even the, the social worker that we were assigned that came out to her house, when I told her my my goal, she said, oh, I've been doing this for 17 years. I've never seen anyone recover. Uh, but I kept going. And, and that's my story. So Christopher, you know, lost all his symptoms. Now he's in sixth grade, AB honor roll student, many friends, plays competitive golf, and the list of his accomplishments goes on and on. <laughs> Amazing. And that's on it on the surface even that's so encouraging to parents that are um, just beginning their journey or feeling so overwhelmed by it and um, but it might feel like also well gosh that's not attainable for me right but um, you know it is what it is so yeah. tell us um, you know at, and so after Christopher's journey is when and all of the research you did when you began delving into autism as a physician, right? You did not yes. do that before? I did not do that before. Matter of fact, I'm internal medicine. So my goal was to just see adults. <laughs> right. Um, so yes, I did not do that before I started with Christopher. Well, let's just kind of dig in a little bit to autism in particular, because this is something that you've really address thoroughly as a parent and obviously as a, as a physician now as well. Do you think, I, I think that the most recent, um, the, the most recent CDC statistic has shows that in the year 2000, the autism rate was one in 150 and re more recently reported in 2020 is now one in 36. Yes. Do you feel like this has to do with better detection and screening, which is what I hear about a lot, or do you think that autism rates are actually increasing? I think that autism rate is increasing because even when you take into consideration the better diagnosing by physicians, the screening, the change in the diagnostic criteria, it is increasing. I mean, when I even look at, I mean, when I even look at myself 
personally. My mom has eight children. I'm the youngest. We have no autism in our family. I look at my mom's sisters and brothers. They have no autism. I look at my dad's side. There's no autism. But fast forward now to to people born after the 70s, I have, I'm the youngest and I have a son with autism. My niece has a son with autism. My nephew has a son with autism. So all of a sudden our family, we have three autism. And I mentioned before that I'm internal medicine. So I've been working at the hospital for over 20 years. Not only in North Carolina, I've traveled as a locums and worked in other states. Mm -hmm. And if autism was one in 36, always and we're better diagnosing then we should see a lot of older people with autism right right and i work in nursing homes I, even I, I see in my career 20 years i probably have seen maybe two or three um, older people born before 1970 with autism so i am definitely sure that it is increasing it's not because of earlier diagnosis changing diagnostic criteria or all the other things that people mention right and and i think that's i think when we think about it most people's personal experience too like we can think about oh you know i have this uncle who maybe was a little bit socially awkward, that type of thing or whatever. Right. But I am um, about to turn 41. And, and there was one severely autistic student in my entire school that I can remember right. ever. Right. And so it's like, well, I don't know. So drawing on that conclusion that autism is, we can dr draw that con conclusion that it likely is on the rise what do you think are some of those contributing factors? I'm glad you asked. So I think there, there's not just one thing, like you could say, okay, this is what causes autism. I think it's multifactorial, it, many things. And one of the main things, or one of the things I think about a lot is chemicals. Example, glyphosate. In the mm -hmm. 1970s is when we started chemical farming, right? So right. we started using, you know, chemicals on the food and glyphosate, it's a herbicide, meaning it kills plants. It also kills bacteria. And now with the later data that we're doing, you know, genome sequencing of, of our gut microbiome, we realize that it kills not only the herbicide, but it kills bacteria. And we have so many bacterial cells in our gut and the we have this gut-brain connection. So if you're killing the bacteria in your gut, you're basically killing yourself. And not only does it kill bacteria, it, it kills more the beneficial bacteria. So some bacteria like Clostridia that produces you know, chemical toxins that's harmful to the body and our neurotoxins, it is resistant. But the good bacteria it will kill those, they're more susceptible to, to, to glyphosate. So now you're killing the bacteria. So the bacteria that should keep everything in balance is not there. So you'll have what they call dysbiosis. And then there are bacteria that you pr produce butyrate, produce short chain fatty acid to help with the integrity of the gut lining. Um, those are, are damaged as well. So now you have leaky gut and all the large molecules that should not get into your systemic circulation now can enter. And then now you have problems with all that affecting the brain. 
Bacteria mm. um, also produces um, glutathione. Glutathione is a major antioxidant. The liver also uses glutathione in the detoxification process. You, you also get it from, from the body making it using amino acids, but you get a lot from the gut as well. So if you can't detox because you're not producing glutathione because you're destroying those bacteria, then, then that is also a problem. Um, not only that, I mean, the gut microbiome is, is fascinating. There's so many things that it does. I mean, you have, um, you have uh, vitamins that's being produced by the gut microbiome too. So, and vitamins you need to make, neurotransmitters you need for a lot of things. So if you're not um, getting all the vitamins, then, then you see how all these, these additive things that the gut does that you're not, you're not getting, you can see how that's a problem. And glyphosate was also patented in the 60s as a chelator. So I find that when I test a lot of kids, their trace minerals, their zinc, selenium, magnesium, and all those things are low. And I think that has something to do with it. So the, the gut microbiome, glyphosate, all that, I think plays a, a large factor because a lot of the kids with autism, I noticed, including my son, has a lot of gut issues. He had severe constipation. Right. And um, another factor, I think, is plastics, you know, and phthalates, because we're using a lot of plastics now that we used to wear. Everything is in plastic. We're drinking from plastic water bottles a lot. And um, phthalates are endocrine disrupt disruptors. And it um, it even gets into the mother's breast milk. So, mm -hmm. so that's another, another factor. And then, I mean, you look at what they call the forever chemicals, PFAS. And that's where you have like non-cake boxes, how you have it non-stick so that way all the, the grease won't get on your hand when you have water repellent, oil repellent, all those things that PFAS, and it gets into the water supply. And, you know, the body doesn't know what to do with it. The soil doesn't know what to do with it. That's why they call it the forever chemical. And then right. you get EMF, and then you have increased antibiotic use, and more people are getting C-sections. Uh, C-sections, when you have a C-section, granted, some people have to have C-section, you find that the, the gut microbiome of the child if you have a c-section is is not the same as if they were vaginally delivered so so the, the so if you see it's all the different things when you put all these things together then the body just gets overwhelmed i think and i think all all these things are contributing factors to the rise in autism cases right it's like that the perfect storm of all yeah. of these things right yes yes yeah yeah. So you, you shared with us about your son and his recovery from autism. And um, how do you feel about what, I mean, every, every child that is diagnosed with autism obviously has a different case. Um, how do you feel like most children are able to improve and, and that kind of thing? And what are some of the things that you find we just talked all about the gut. What are some of the things that you think make the most difference in recovery and healing? Yeah, so I think that um, children and and it's 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 funny because 
all my journey, you know, going through all this, the, the different schools with Christopher, no one ever mentions that, you know, that you could work with, with them. You could heal the body, heal the gut and all these things. Everybody, even when I went to all the doctors, everyone pretty much told me about ABA, physical therapy, speech therapy, and occupational therapy. No one really talked to me back then about a biomedical uh, treatment and healing the, the body and the, the gut. But I think that, uh, children can recover from autism. And I think even if you're older, you may not get full recovery, but I think that you can get a lot of improvement just by changing the diet, addressing a lot of the different issues we talked about, the gut microbiome. Um, I think you can get um, significant amount of in recovery from doing those things. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too, that the change in, in diet. And also, do you think also having having hope that it's possible, right? I mean, right. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that that's a big factor. So food matters so very much, especially with the deficiencies and minerals that we see. That's one thing that with our company, Raise Them Well, we make lots of different magnesium supplements for kids. Yeah. And I love hearing from parents with how they are so excited about noticing changes in their kids with, with the mineral supplementation. But nice. how can you, with, with a child with autism, what are some of the things that you did to help overcome some picky eating? I would, this is a soapbox of mine anyway, just with um, typical learning kids, we accommodate far too much as parents and give them so much white, crunchy, whatever food. But obviously there is, there are additional challenges with kids who have autism. And so what are some of the ways that you help to diversify the food and the palate and to help um, to expand with your, your picky eater with autism? Yeah, I find that, you know, that most autistic kids are picky eaters. My son was a very picky eater. He would not go from taste. I think he just like crunchy, salt, or sweet. So it was very difficult to get him to eat anything else. I find that most kids, if I start, because I think sometimes that pickiness is from some deficiency of vitamins or minerals, especially zinc. You find a lot of, lot of kids that are zinc deficient. They, they do not get the real taste. They have some problems with taste, so they go more from texture. So I find that sometimes, my approach to uh, treating kids or even with my son, if you start them on supplements, you mentioned vitamin company, if you start them on supplements, you know, with the, the vitamins and minerals, sometimes that will fix their taste bud problem. And once you get that fixed, then they're more open to, um, to trying uh, new foods. Um, yeah. Yes. When, when Christopher was when I started with Christopher, however, um, it, it was it was very challenging because I did not realize that back then, right? So it right. was it was it was very challenging. He would go to school because I was determined that he was going to be eating healthy, was going to get all the right nutrients because I realized if he's not getting the nutrients, um, then it was going to be like a cycle. You're deficient, you don't want to eat, and then the, the deficiency gets worse. So I would, um, he would have episodes where he would go to school, I'd give him the food in his lunchbox, I'd give him the 
the um the drink you know i'd make my juice with kale and and all that stuff and he wouldn't eat anything the teacher got so concerned that she would even send me um packages email with packages of things i could try but but we had decided back then that we were not because he was so severe and we it's like we i don't feel like we had a choice we had to try to help him so back then we just would not do packaging so even when he didn't eat at school i mean we would we would just stick with it we stick with the diet you know this is what you're gonna get and if he, he got hungry enough that that he started he started eating i don't know if it was just replenishing the minerals that his taste got got um taste buds healed or it was just that he just got tired of, of fighting and just you know because we cleared the house totally out we only had in our house the allowed foods sure so, but, but yeah so and using that method one of the things that you're clarifying this is what i've seen with other parents who will really help their children to make great progress is it's a big commitment and it requires changes from other members of the family a lot of times too to set that example and arguably that's the case when we're trying to teach any of our children healthy habits, right? Yes, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell me an, another big, big um, challenge with autism is constipation and sleeping issues. Was that something that you dealt with as a parent yes. and also that you see and how do you go about? Yes, um, I feel and I don't know if other mothers can relate to this, but I felt bad for Christopher with this constipation. He would only have bowel movements like once a week. So I would start getting nervous even after, um, you know, three days or so when he doesn't have any bowel movements. Because I realized that the the bowel movement issue was related to behavior. <laughs> when mm -hmm. he for, for days, I think that that stool just sits in the colon and just creates a lot of bacterial and bacterial toxin that affected his his mind so the behavior at school and home would get worse so how i fix that problem i realize that magnesium you know you mentioned supplements so if you give magnesium on a daily basis i realize that then the bowel movement started you know becoming more frequent then he started getting daily bowel movements and um because with, with the constipation i think because he was nonverbal, all that he was having pain but he couldn't tell me he was having pain so then mm -hmm. it would result in behavior issues and i find even that i had to put a little stool in the bathroom because he gets so constipated that he has to you have to push your foot down i noticed that he has to push his foot down when he's trying to have a bowel movement in order to increase the intra-abdominal pressure for the stool to come out. So, so it was, it was very challenging. And I also had a enema kit. So if he didn't go, then we'd have to use a, do a tap water enema. I use a filtered water. So the, the constipation, and, and I hear this from a lot of parents, the constipation issue, these stools for kids with autism, it is so large. You, you wonder how can something so large come out of a, a, a little, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Yes. And the insomnia, uh, you know, if you're not sleeping, your body is not regenerating the cells. are So so that can be a problem. So with the insomnia, I noticed for, for Christopher, once I changed the diet and cut out all the sweets and a lot of the carbs that he was craving, once I did that, um, some patients, some kids have to use melatonin. But once I cleaned up the diet, then I find that he started sleeping through the night. Yeah. And that's that's a fascinating um, connection too, right? Yeah. So one of the things we talked about that we wanted to make sure we provide is hope to other families. And so 
I, I know, I mean, personally, I know of, I can think just off the top of my head of probably five acquaintances that have in the last year or so received a diagnosis of autism. So um, what advice would you give to parents who are dealing with a, a new diagnosis? I know there's great overwhelm. And like you said, the resources that are often provided are somewhat limited. So what, what advice would you give to someone who, to a parent with a new diagnosis? I would say to that parent, never lose hope. That's the first thing. You have to have hope. And when Christopher was diagnosed, no one, I never heard from any of the specialists um, or, or the pediatrician that recovery was possible, that he could get better. And, mm-hmm. and personally, I look at autism as more of a medical diagnosis, more so than a sight diagnosis. So um, I would tell a mother that, that just re- just be open-minded, look, in, look into biomedical intervention, healing the body, changing the diet. And, um, you know, I believe occupational therapy, physical therapy, behavioral therapy is important, but I also believe working on the body, healing the gut, healing the body is very important as well. And um, even if some doctors don't embrace this, I still think going after that, because that's how I was able to to, to heal Christopher is through intervention along with all his therapies. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how about tell us with some of the kids that you worked on? This is my favorite part. Some some of the families that you've worked with, some of your big success stories that you've seen with the um, interventions that you guide a, with along that you yeah. help the, the families implement. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, that is very exciting for me as well because um, 99% of the children that I've seen so far have been able to get significant amount of, um, you know, improvement. It's not like, you know, doing adult medicine, you have all these chronic disorders that go on and on and on forever that you're just um, taking medicine for. But with autism, I find one child that I was seeing after about maybe eight months, his mom was saying after doing the supplement, she changed the diet. She said that, you know, she was asking me, should I get him retested? Because I don't think he has autism. You'd meet the the diagnostic criteria for autism anymore because now he's talking, he's requesting things, he's playing with his sister, he's doing, you know, everything. So, so that when you hear stories like that, it's just, it's just amazing. And I, have another mother, you know, she's only been doing it for about four or five months. And she said right off the bat, once she committed to the diet and changed the diet, you know, at school, she said he was not taking part in any because she has a camera at her house. She looked, he wasn't taking part in any of the activities. He's always by himself. But now she saw they were doing like circuit time and singing and he joined with the others and he was taking part in all the activities. He was, you know, dancing with them, looking at them, doing all the hand motions. And and even at home, she said, now he's playing with his sister. So, you know, and he's he's really trying to talk, trying to engage before he was, you know, not really talking. So so that is um, was it's for me, it's, it's just it just brings me back to, you know, Christopher, when I was going through it, it just brings me back all the times to, to, to these episodes. And if you think it's just younger children, I have a 14 year old um that uh, he he started they didn't know about it he started uh four at 14 years old and his mom said um he was like math he was doing at uh, a, a 
kindergarten level and he was he was mm. 14 and she said even just after a year and a half now he's at a sixth grade level with his math so his comprehension got so much better he's able to sit better so so i believe that it doesn't matter what age you might not get full recovery but you'll definitely you know get a lot of improvement just by 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 biomedical intervention wonderful and um one more question for you so I think that I, parents are terrified these days about like, oh my goodness, like so many kids have autism. What can I do prior to becoming pregnant or during my pregnancy? What are some of the tips that you would give parents? I know that some of these can be so controversial as far as what women should do before and after pregnancy, but some of it really does matter. So what would you suggest to pregnant women or to those who are planning to become pregnant? I would suggest because because I, I can understand why they would be be terrified because I have patients uh, right now that the, the mother has one with autism and then two, three, even four, all four boys with autism. And, and that's a hard life I could see. So um, I would say, you know, if someone is going to get pregnant and optimize your health first, there's so many tests that's out there that you could do, get a hair analysis, get an organic acid test. If there are anything that, you know, mineral deficiencies, get all those optimized. And um, even they have research on, on folic acid, folinic acid, 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. So start your folinic acid or early. If your vitamin D level is or replenish that, if you need to detox, so optimize the body first. And then once you get all the tests, get your body optimized and then try again and get pregnant. But if you don't do anything, if you do everything you did with the first one, with the second one, then a lot of times you end up getting the same results. Mm, yeah. And um, I know you talked a little bit about C-sections and there's so many elective C-sections and so many birth interventions these days. And we did talk in detail about that on our, um, I think two episodes ago with um, one of my chiropractor friends, as far as how interventions and uh, especially when it comes to inductions often becomes a spiral that leads to C-sections. And so um, while, you know, you're, the way that you want to give birth is up to the mom, it is important to realize that um, C-sections for convenience or even those that turn into em emergencies because of Pitocin and then pain drugs and all these types of things, um, it's just important to consider when you're making those decisions. And so I just always encourage people to really do their own research and to think about what interventions you do and don't want as a birthing mom. So, and yeah. then breastfeeding, I think you have said breastfeeding does matter and you do encourage that if parents are yeah. able, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Well, you are such a breadth of experience. Can you tell us a little bit about your clinic or where our parents can find you? And I'll put some of this in the show notes too, but where can they find you, follow you um, in your practice? Uh, my clinic is Raleigh Holistic Healthcare. We are located in Cary. Um, the name is also Autism Treatment Center of Raleigh. And you could also find us on um, YouTube. Awesome. 
Very great. Thank you so very much for your time today and for the encouragement that you offer parents and for, I love that you use your personal challenging life experience and everything that you learned and put it into practice. I know it probably would have been much easier for you to just continue doing regular internal medicine, but you made that choice to work with these families that are desperate for options, solutions, and hope. And I'm just so proud of you and grateful for you and all of our providers that choose to do the harder thing and making an impact in families. So thank you for that. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Are you too? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 